The city analogy is a great one, and it's helpful to think about building Demo like the way you would go about building a city from scratch. Admittedly, right now, we're not quite far along on the decentralization of the development. Digital Infrastructure Inc. is still controlling or at least contributing most of the development uh, on the protocol. Right now, we're kind of at the stage of a 100-person city where there's a founder telling people what to do. Hey, you guys need to build some roads. You guys need to go get some food. You guys need to make some clothes. And it's kind of like a primitive city in that example, in that metaphor, where we see where we need to go. We're investing heavily in the infrastructure that goes into building a city, like the roads, the plumbing, and so on. A lot of that is the protocol itself, so minting a car as an NFT, getting the token out there, establishing the initial governance frameworks, and so on. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today we are with Rob Solomon, again, I should say, because Rob has been a guest previously on our podcast together with some former colleagues. Today is joining us in his new capacity as co-founder at Demo, a blockchain-enabled IoT protocol for mobility. And we go really into depth and the detailed working of this IoT protocol that they are building and all the ecosystem around it. So we really hope that you will enjoy the practical insights that this episode brings. Rob has a background in finance, investing and organizational design. And most recently, he worked at Consensus, the largest Ethereum-focused development company with a focus on finance, internal economics and decentralizing that organization. And before that, he was at Room, a pioneer in the online used car marketplace sector, and he started his career at the Downtown Project in Las Vegas, which is a spin-off of Zappos that we have also had on the podcast, working on investments and implementing Holacracy. So Rob really builds this bridge between what they are trying to build with Demo and the impact it has on how you actually build an organization in an ecosystemic way, taking advantage of those new technologies that Web3 and decentralized autonomous organizations are using. So we talk a lot about the basic setup. So the idea of connecting car owners, being able to connect their cars and keep control and being able to monetize on the data that is generated from from using their vehicles. Uh, And the way of doing that, we see that there are some patterns in, in terms of For instance, in Demo, they are setting up what is called data unions. So being those that, let's say, become custodians of the data that the car owners and the users provide uh, and allowing uh, the monetization in a decentralized way. And those data unions can even be DAOs themselves. So really keeping the ownership and the incentives aligned. And that's really the core, let's say, of of the mission that that Demo is, is forwarding. Um, they used an analogy of a city. So thinking about really building the basic infrastructures for, for players in the ecosystem to build applications and to find new usage of the different features that are being provided. Uh, so thinking about something like roads, buildings, and uh, another type of interest infrastructure, but leaving 
what players can do uh, fairly permissionless. So this is really uh, interesting to hear about. Uh, we also talk about what attracts both users uh, and providers of data, but also investors into uh, these new types of organizations. And it really comes back to this new mission of sort of redefining the thesis of ownership and really taking a step away from what has previously been the case in Web2 and really these tech giants uh, concentrating power, concentrating uh, monetization and this new way of, of building organization in a more decentralized way uh, using um, these new technologies. So we really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. You can, as always, find the resources on our website, so boundarless.io slash resources slash podcast, and you will find Rob's episode there in the list. And please enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everybody, at the Boundless Conversations podcast for another episode. Uh, today, I'm here with my usual co-host, Stina. Hello, hello. And with uh, uh, a former guest as well of the um, podcast in different contexts, uh, Rob Solomon. Good to be talking to you again. Happy to be here. Great, great to have you again, Rob. Uh, so uh, maybe it's a good idea to start really from uh, the little difference that uh, exists before uh, between your um, last appearance on the podcast and uh, uh, this one. Basically, you join a new organization that is the subject matter of today's uh, conversation mainly. So you join Demo, if I'm not wrong, as a CFO. Tell us a little bit more about Demo. Uh, quickly, an overview for the listeners to contextualize a bit your, your new career challenges. Right. So the last time I was on here, I worked with Consensus, a large Ethereum development company. And there I was really focused on decentralized organizations. I was working on a project called Cone that was a way to use market dynamics inside of firms to help them organize more effectively at a, in a decentralized org structure. Uh, was always very focused on DAOs. And I still largely have the same focus. I'm just doing this now more applied at Demo. Uh, Demo is a company uh, started by a friend of mine, Andy Chatham, and our CTO, Yev Kesson. Andy was working with Waymo at Transdev. He was working on some side projects. The first version of this was feeding sensor data to self-driving cars to find parking spots in a garage. The next was a knowledge graph that showed the development of public infrastructure projects and helped companies bid on RFPs. But the idea, the current idea for Demo really came when Yev and Andy uh, were engaged as consultants and had to go acquire electric vehicle battery data and struggled to do so, realized it was very hard to know how these electric vehicle batteries were performing in the real world and set out to build a IoT network for mobility. Around that point, Alex Rawitz, another friend of mine, joined as the COO. And at that point, they were starting to think about how a token and how Web3 could fit into this. They'd been looking at Helium and got really inspired by how Helium used a token and a token economy to build a citywide and really global LoRaWAN mesh network, focusing on just one side of the market, you know, the supply side, not really focusing on the demand side of who's actually going to be using the LoRaWAN uh, initially. 
they were still able to successfully bootstrap that using their token model. And that's when they talked to me about it. I had seen so many token projects, many of which I felt like, you know, the token was just a bolt on as a justification to get a token out there and be a token project and throw web three in the name. But this is one where I could really see the utility. It seemed like it was incredibly aligned. There was a chance to you know, take a lot of these things that I was thinking about in terms of decentralized orgs and to- token models and what they can do to improve the experience of the users and owners and the world generally. And I kind of saw it all come together with this project, got really excited about it. I wasn't intending to leave Consensus, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to join this one. So I joined as the fourth co-founder. We raised some money and uh, now up to 15 employees we're moving pretty nicely on our roadmap. The uh, mobile app is out now. The web app is up. If you search Demo Mobile in the App Store, you can find it. And yeah, so I still haven't really gotten to what Demo is exactly. So, so I can I can quickly touch on that as well. Demo is a protocol that enables drivers to connect their car, mint it as an NFT, stream the data from that vehicle, and determine who has access to that data. In most cases, they will opt into sharing that data with a data union. And that data union will allow them to monetize their data. That union will effectively monetize the data on their behalf and they will be able to earn for that. Kind of flips the model, the existing model on its head where you just sign up for a service, agree to like a 6,000 page terms of service and they monetize your data. You don't see anything and they just give you a, a newsfeed that makes you angry or something like that and gets you to click and buy cheap shorts or shoes on their on their service. This is really about giving the users control of their own data and helping them to monetize it themselves and give them ownership of the protocol as well through the token. Um, on the flip side, you know, so reflecting all this data, on the other side of that, you have uh, data consumers who might just want to know about the traffic in a city or how, how the batteries are performing in a car or how the self-driving systems in a car are performing when they're being used, temperature outside the car. There's a very long tail we're collecting hundreds of data points and there's a very long tail of uses all the obvious automotive ones about financing insurance buying cars selling cars and whatnot but also people might want to know the weather outside the car for for weather maps they might want to know cellular coverage in a certain area we can kind of tell cell strength as cars drive through certain spots there's there's lots of small things that these uh that this data can be used for that's on the data consumption side but what gets me even more excited is the app development side where because the car is a Web3 NFT, the user is a, represented by their on-chain identity and trips are represented as NFTs and data is attached to them. Uh, you could attach credentials to a driver, like they're insured and registered and have the proper licensing. They have a taxi license or they have a CDL, commercial driver's license, motorcycle license, whatever. You can attach credentials to the vehicle prove that trips have happened. So you could build things like Web3 Uber and peer-to-peer car sharing and pay-per-mile insurance and things like that, a DeFi you know, auto loan program on top of these primitives. And so we think this is going to become a very robust ecosystem. So, so it's not just about data, as I understand, you know, and I really encourage the, the listeners to the to the podcast to listen to a previously released podcast that uh, uh, it's uh, available on uh, Demos YouTube and uh, I think also on other channels where you started essentially this series where you explain these things a little bit and on the first issue you have explained a lot about the applications that you expect so I really encourage people to get there uh, but I, I think there are a few bits that you touched upon you know in this first uh, quick introduction to Demo 
most interestingly, uh, this idea that uh, uh, it's not just about data, but also about identity, right, and credentials. So, uh, of course, there is a possibility to develop data-dependent, let's say, applications, which uh, may be more easily identified with this idea of IoT, right? But also, lots more applications that are much more based on identifying the car, identifying the driver, identifying the trips, uh, you know, in this univocal uh, way and very open way. So what what I wanted to bring up is uh, these two things, right? This is on one side, user-owned network. Uh, so essentially designed to protect uh, the user rights to, you know, basically make the best of their data, monetizing it and so on. And on the other side, uh, it's um, much better to use uh, from the perspective of the app developer, right? Because there is also this uh, openness of interfaces and openness of uh, all these touch points with the platform, right? So can you maybe just expand a bit on how this mix of uh, ethos coming from the Web3 perspective, so owning the network from the from the user perspective, and on the other side, this ethos coming maybe from 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 the open source community of open interfaces, uh, transparent data. How can this approach maybe mix it with the business models that you are also seeing emerging from this experience? become, uh, to some extent, a pattern. Uh, for example, you spoke about Helium, that is an infrastructure setup project uh, that set up this LoRaWAN network, DeFi-IoT, uh, so to click and, you know, basically reinforce this idea that DeFi and IoT, or in general, decentralization and IoT can really fit together. Can we assume that this pattern can be used in other contexts, and what is the general pattern that you are seeing emerging according to this experience? Yeah, we don't want to take too much credit here. Open source technology has been really important and quite advanced for a long time. A lot of really great services are built on top of open source technology. What the token allows us to do now that's kind of a bit novel is historically, if you're you know contributing an open source project, you're doing it on, on nights and weekends. It's kind of hard to monetize it. Typically, you do open source and then some company comes along and builds a service on top of it, like Chrome or, or something. There was a whole thing with Amazon and was it Elastic? So you kind of had to be forced into one or the other. You were either you were either doing this open source thing as a public good and there was no real control over it. It was just something everybody contributed to and could use as a public good, or you were the business that was making money on top of it. I think what's really interesting about these new token models is you can build open source. You can go beyond just the basics and 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 start to build real features on top of it and build a real community around it and put a, a you know token around it so that so that governance can continue and delegation and and development can kind of continue in a more sophisticated way. Not to say that open source isn't sophisticated, but you can put more of a, a organizational wrapper around around these things while keeping it open source and. It's almost like a hybrid between between the two. So the, the token will enable this community to kind of get their arms around the demo protocol, build features further up the stack than would normally be possible uh, in traditional open source setting and take the protocol to a higher level, but while still 
creating something that is open, reliable, neutral, and credible that any business can come in and build applications on top of. So what does that look like? It looks like the protocol by which you mint your cars and NFT, connect trip data, point your data somewhere, opt into a data union. We look at the the demo mobile app as a client, like like Gmail or Outlook or Yahoo are you know, email clients. And it could be one of many clients that access the protocol. And the community can continue to develop, you know, fund, fund and own and develop clients. It can start to seed and invest in and develop some applications. But also another business could come in and just build its own Web3 uh, ride hailing application or, or car sharing application on top of this open source protocol, stake their tokens, and not just be renting space from us, but actually owning you know, the business that they're building in, in, in this area. The, the, the analogy there is if you were to build on top of like Twitter and consider Twitter a protocol, well, you know, that's only good until they revoke your API access or throttle you in some way. We've seen it with Facebook, with Twitter, with with Google, Amazon. They they kind of tolerate you being in their marketplace. They encourage it. And then they kind of, once you get too big, they they want to renegotiate the terms or pull the rug out. Ultimately, we can still maintain that character of open source, that character of, of, of token projects where people can come in and build things and truly truly own what they're building while contributing to this ecosystem. It's like, you know, with open source, uh, the pattern was... The community can build something, making so attractive uh, with respect, for example, to the existing proprietary alternatives, and then people start to use it. Uh, instead, it seems to me that when, when we talk about bootstrapping these Web3 networks, you know, basically the company, in this case, that wants to bootstrap the network needs to create much more, uh, I would say, a much more convincing set of elements so that players can, uh, I would say, invest in developing this in, for, the, for the longer term, right? So, for example, uh, you have to convince everybody that the, you know, the ontology that you have, uh, in, you know, that you have codified in the protocol is a convincing one, right? It's a, uh, and you also have to say there is a possibility to evolve it. So if you develop, you know, for example, if you buy the tokens or you gain the tokens, you will have a possibility to, of course, use it for utility, but also use it for the governance uh, and to steer uh, the protocol in a certain direction. Then you also have to have this open organization where, of course, at some level, uh, people will, should be able to develop applications. So open interfaces, you said, for example, the demo client is only one of many clients. So you have to have this uh, uh, openness of interfaces so that the third parties that may decide to invest and bid on top of the network are sure that nobody can come up and kick them out like you know it happened with Twitter but also you also need to have this open organization so for example you you have built these uh, D teams the demo teams that uh, are uh, permeable right to to people from the outside that want to jump in and uh, contribute so how how complex how difficult is to run this truly open organization especially when it comes to you know including third parties potentially i don't want to say competitors but you know stakeholders of all kinds uh, contributors to jump in and contribute you know how difficult is it to change the perspective from dictating top-down the work that needs to be done into creating a, an organization that is more like a space where 
you, you said it's a, like a city, right, in the podcast. So what is the, how is this shift in mental models in um, building an organization this way? It, I really, yeah, the, the city analogy is a great one. And it's helpful to think about building Demo like the way you would go about building a city from scratch. Admittedly, right now, we're not quite far along on the decentralization of the development. We have an open Discord. People can come in, see kind of a lot of our working channels and, and contribute and give feedback. But at the end of the day, Digital Infrastructure Inc. is still controlling or at least contributing most of the development uh, on the protocol. So going back to the city analogy, right now we're kind of at the stage of a 100-person city where there's kind of like a, a founder of the city, a chief more or less. We haven't, who's you know kind of telling people what to do. Hey, you guys need to build some roads. You guys need to go get some food. You guys need to make some clothes. And you know, it's kind of like a primitive city in that example, in that in that metaphor, where we see where we need to go. We're investing heavily in kind of the infrastructure that goes into building a city, like the you know the roads, the plumbing, and so on. We a lot of that is the the protocol itself, so minting a car as an NFT, getting the token out there, establishing the initial governance frameworks, and so on. You know, cities like if, if democratic city members need to be able to vote, you need to have a representative government, more or less. So we're going to have an emphasis on delegation. Users can delegate their vote or vote themselves if they'd like. You need courts. You need certain types of zoning, licensing services, and so on. So those are some of the things that we're building now. For example, so on those, the, the analogy for Demo is we're setting up kind of an arbitration council that can be used for a couple different services. Uh, one of the first teams that we're setting up that's kind of a cross-functional, cross-organization team that's going to have members outside of Digital Infrastructure, Inc. is the integrations committee, vehicle integrations committee. And they're going to issue licenses to hardware manufacturers who are building dongles that go into cars and software providers who can create software connections to vehicles, giving them licenses, determining the amounts that they would need to stake in order to gain that license, setting device specifications, and so on. And let's say one of those hardware manufacturers misbehaves, you know, uh, is other, you know, is producing devices that are meant to, is participating in something like data spoofing, that that committee could take them to the arbitration council and have some of the, the demo that they've staked slashed but also anybody could challenge a hardware manufacturer and take them to the arbitration council. So it's much like a, much like a city's kind of court system in that case. So we're building some of that initial infrastructure. The, the D teams that you kind of mentioned, we're going to have some teams that are kind of formally recognized by the community who are delegated certain resources and powers. Maybe they're focused on issuing grants or developing SDKs or building some core you know, software and so on. But ultimately, as an open source project, anybody is, is welcome, whether you're a part of one of these teams or not, to contribute to open source tech and to you know, contribute in certain ways. Maybe these teams will have certain authorities delegated by the community that, that others won't. But typically, this will be quite an open, open network. So you could think of those like you know, public libraries or programs inside of a city. Ultimately, where we think most of the development is going to happen is kind of once that infrastructure is in place, no one has to tell a restaurant to open up on the corner here. There's just a natural incentive for it to do so. It files the necessary you know, paperwork. It raises the capital it needs and it opens up on the corner. It owns the, maybe it owns the real estate that it's on, owns its business and it gets going. And if it's good, 
then it'll make money and it will do well. And if it's bad, it'll, it'll lose money and disappear. And ultimately, that's how we would see most businesses and apps and things like that will contribute on top of Demo. Same way as like, you know, the Apple App Store. Like, you know, Apple's not building the, the games and applications that go in its App Store. It's more so just setting the parameters and making it lucrative for people to come in and do so. And then they, they apply and, and come on in. So that's going to be where a lot of the development for Demo comes from. If we talk about the city metaphor, we stay a bit in the city metaphor. Uh, and you, you can think now, as since you're focusing on, on cars, essentially, at the moment, right? Uh, the car owners would be something like the citizens that are going to somehow like live in this city and or be active agents in this in the city. And you mentioned uh, also that they so they own their data and they give it to the what you said data unions. I'm very curious of who are they. <laughs> you know, it's, it it sounds like almost like an institution, like you were saying, like a like a library or something like. How do you frame them within the city? Yeah. This is still something that's that's evolving. One of our investors, Streamer, has started something called a data union DAO. So there could be the data union could be itself could be a DAO. We expect that in most cases, and especially early on, they'll likely be Delaware C corporations based out of the U.S. that operate these these services. Users can opt into. They will apply to some demo subcommittee and agree to terms on. Uh, the amount that they'll need to stake, they'll agree to terms on profit sharing. So if they receive a hundred demo for providing data, they'll they'll keep three and send the other ninety seven to the protocol, which will send ninety six point eight you know to the user, extracting maybe a very small amount for the for the protocol's treasury to fund future development. Those parameters, those conditions would be set up up front. They'd be whitelisted. And then once they're whitelisted, they'd be available for users to opt into. Whatever that data union would be doing, the user would have the clarity and, and ability to opt in. So maybe certain data unions would only share aggregate anonymized data and the conditions by which they would consider anonymized would be published. So you know, never submitting a sample with less than 100 you know, drivers attached to it, uh, not giving fine-grained location data unless the, the user is outside of their privacy zone. In our app right now, you can set your privacy zones things like that. Without getting too into the weeds on that, the point is that we want users to be fully in control of kind of what's shared and, and how it's shared. Other data unions might build up uh, portals for users who want to share their data with their insurance company or their bank. And so it wouldn't be anonymized, but they would still control who it eventually you know goes to. And there might be different incentives and terms for, for each one. All of them would be whitelisted by the protocol. They would agree to certain terms. And if they violate those terms, they might have the amount of demo that they've staked uh, taken away from them and either burned or given back to the the users that they harmed. But that's something that will evolve over time. We're going to start with most likely Digital Infrastructure Inc. will probably be the first data union that users will be able to opt into. And it will just be one that's kind of engaged by the foundation to offer that service to users. Uh, And then we expect to see more come on over time. Right. And, and switching to the user side in, instead, is it easy to attract interest of this? Is it uh, an attractive value for proposition for car owners? Or do you do a lot of onboarding work and, and, and kind of capacity building around that? Because I know that many people are quite ignorant with data and, you know, the data that they yeah. could own, but maybe, you know, don't and, and so on. Yeah, I think in the near term, there's really two like distinct selling points. You know, one, we, have, we want to actually make this product useful to people 
like immediately. Um, right now, if you connect your car, you can see some information about it. You can see your tire pressure and where it is on a map and some information about your trips. And to some people that's useful. We're adding more features like the ability to lock and unlock your car and eventually be able to share the car with you know someone else, allow them to unlock it for a certain amount of time. And we're working on adding applications in so you'll be able to connect your insurance and loan and other things. And then you might be able to do some things with that. Uh, just adding features that are useful to folks. I think right now there, there, there are some applications out there that let you uh, track your cars, but I think we're one of the only, if not the only app that you know, somebody, you know, with a Mercedes and a Honda in their driveway, you know, one car is their partners, one car is theirs can connect both uh, from different OEMs and view them both within the same app. So already we're offering something somewhat unique and we've really just barely scratched the surface on that. And we're going to be adding more and more useful features people might want to join, not even for the the token and the mission, but for just the, the features that we've been able to provide. And that's going to be important to us that we have this good single player mode. So we're calling it. The other is, yeah, is, is the chance to be a part of this thing to earn the token and be a part of a community that people buy into. With most blockchain projects, there's still so much infrastructure and development that needs to happen. It's like trying to build Netflix in like 1995. It's just like bandwidth isn't good enough. Computers aren't good enough. There's no smartphones. There's no Wi-Fi. You know, TVs aren't really connected. There's no Chromecast and Apple TVs in 95, right? So it's just like all the things that make Netflix good and usable hadn't been developed yet. Netflix didn't build any of those things. Those were all built by other companies. Similarly with Demo, what's going to make Demo more valuable are fast block times and, and cheap gas fees for blockchain transactions. It's going to be sophisticated NFT primitives and applications that allow you to do things with your NFTs. It's going to be uh, better wallets, more seamless wallets. It's going to be having your identity already attached to your on-chain address. So when you come to Demo, you don't have to, there's all these things about you are already, you know, coming in from different applications that app developers can take advantage of right now. You know, people have very little in their wallets. You can think of a wallet really, you know, blockchain wallet really is like a wallet in that it can hold more than just, you know, money and assets. It can hold information about you and other things as well. So, um, but right now most people don't have those types of things in there. So there's so much that needs to improve you know, to help us realize, and we're not going to develop those things. Those are things that will just be, you know, there, a lot of money is pouring into a lot of people are spending a lot of time developing. So those things will naturally progress. And we have a really big vision for where we're going to get to on the, on the web three front. And so with our product and really every project, except for, you know, I mean, you could argue that some DeFi projects are fully realized, but they have, you know, I think, I think they'll, they'll eventually expand their scope quite significantly to offer more services once this space matures. But with most projects, you're really betting on the vision, the community, and the opportunity with it. And, and so in our case, that's going to be why people show up. They're going to believe in our ownership, our, our thesis on what happens when you better align ownership incentives. Um, one of, another thing that's very important to us is kind of helping to usher in this zero emission future and the electrification of vehicle, you know, commercial vehicles and passenger vehicles all over the world and how better battery data can help to, and, and driving data can help to determine, you know, better designs for cars, uh, for batteries, get people, uh, nudge people into feeling like they can use an electric vehicle, where we put charging stations and so on. We're also launching on a blockchain that is carbon uh, negative. We're planning to go with Polygon. They have a proof of stake chain that is, that is carbon neutral. 
that's that's a big a big part of what we're doing as well. And so some people might you know buy into the the community and the vision for the project as well, and just say, hey, there has to be a better way for data ownership. There has to be something better than what we're seeing right now with Web 2.0 and tech giants like Facebook and Google just owning and knowing everything about us and manipulating us and owning our data and you know us not having any say in it. There must be a more equitable model where the people who add value to these networks are are the ones earning from it, not just, you know, this investor class that we're not allowed to even be a part of because we're not accredited and can invest in startups. So hopefully that resonates with folks and they join for that reason, in addition to the features as well. I mean, that, that's a very interesting set of points. And you know, I was taking notes in the background and um, I, I was about to ask you a question around, you know, since you have this experience in both, you know, in both sides, building progressive unit-based, unbundled organizations like you did at Zappos and, and, you know, in other contexts, consensus and so on. Is the DAO really the next step uh, beyond uh, this idea of progressive, uh, unbundled, unit-based organization a la higher, right? A la Rendan Hay or a la market-based uh, Zappos organizing and so on. What I was thinking about is that, you know, for example, corporates have been striving to create more entrepreneurship and more autonomy in their teams, right? So, for example, Hire achieves it by giving micro-enterprises the responsibility to, to create their own positive PNL. And I was thinking to the context you have been talking about, and uh, when you say, for example, that uh, parties can come up and create apps on top of your ecosystem, uh, and they are on the market, so <laughs> to some extent they have their own responsibility to create their own PNL, their own sustainability on the market. This comes, uh, you know, naturally. So we can we can see how this is an evolution. You know, it's a permissionless space that evolves and transcends the idea that corporates have created their, these mechanisms internally, right? Uh, and if I think about what else. Uh, these companies uh, do uh, and uh, DAOs are to some extent doing or should be doing. Uh, we can think about, for example, uh, capital allocation. That's another big piece of building a unbundled, organically growing ecosystemic organization. So allocating capital to new apps, new units, let's say. And also shared service platforms. So set of services that... Uh, 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 normally companies create internally, uh, we can think of uh, legal services of finance uh, or HR and so on that support the new micro-entrepreneurial units uh, to come up. So if you think about Demo's ecosystem, right, and you think about how Demo, I don't know, Foundation, uh, Digital uh, Infrastructures Inc., that's another point where you can also double-click if you want, how can this complex institutional system do these two more things, right? Invest capital into new apps, for example, that can, to some extent, uh, make the protocol more liquid or more attractive, or as well, give them services like, I don't know, uh, SDKs or uh, other types of services that you can think about uh, for the development of these new units that uh, will build the institutions and the shops uh, and the, I don't know, whatever it's in this city you are building, right? Uh, what are the things you are thinking about beyond, I would say, the usual grant uh, program? This is the part I'm excited to, to chat with you about in particular. I think it's probably going to be one of the more more interesting parts of this podcast. Enough of me talking just about about Demo, but more more about really what is an organization. 
it's a false dichotomy to to say are you know are you a DAO or or a corporation? It's it's you know organizations exist along a spectrum, and all an organization is, just like defining an you know an organization at all is it's a collections of humans who come together to work on something together, organized in some way with some incentives. And there is an incredible amount of variation, but you know, from company to company, and it's, it's even wrong to just to think about all organizations as being companies. I used the Apple app store example before, like that's, you know, the, the iPhone really is not a company. It's not Apple. Apple is a very key player in it, but Foxconn's also a key player. Samsung's a key player in it. There are these outsourced companies that, that build parts of the iPhone, but you know, Apple controls the iPhone itself. They control the app store, but what about all the companies building all the most important apps on it? You know, the most of the apps I use on my phone are not developed by Apple. They're just distributed through the app store and they're part of this ecosystem. When I pull out my phone, it does so much and it's not, you know, a fraction of it is actually what's built by Apple. They just build the, the, the foundation. So that's an example of an organization that's incredibly decentralized. That's incredibly resilient that reinvents its, itself all the time because, you know, as certain apps and ideas fall out of favor, there's other people inventing new things guided by their own individual incentives, permissionlessly going and building applications that work with iPhone and, and popping up. So you're seeing the benefits of decentralization. You know, just try to imagine like a, a different phone that's entirely vertically integrated and does not have an open app store. Like how, how inferior it would be, even if it was competitive for a short time, uh, it certainly wouldn't last in the long term because how could a company... Uh, be that innovative for that long to keep reinventing the types of things that are, you know, in there and, and how it's used. So, uh, right, right there is an example of, of an open decentralized organization that kind of exists within the legacy, you know, corporate context. It's just, it's just, you're relying on more, you know, B2B relationships and a more open ecosystem. And even, even that, you know, is, is, is not fully open, but it's more open than a lot of businesses have been in the past. So we've been seeing this kind of natural progression already. You know, a lot of a lot of the elements of the traditional corporate structure were, were invented when we were producing widgets and factories 100 years ago, and it was just you know tell this manager to tell that manager to tell that guy to turn the wrench faster, uh, and it was just re- repeat work and very and you know somewhat somewhat simple in that in that context. It was also you know a pre digital era where you know let's say you're you know your shareholder owned companies and shareholders can vote, but you can't have like a share. You can't call a shareholder every single. You know, they invented phones. You're not going to call your shareholders every day, explain what's going on, and ask for them to vote. It's like you had to basically show up in person and put down a piece of paper and show that you were actually, you know, all this. It was just too unwieldy. So of course you have annual shareholder votes and you elect a board and and things are just kind of locked in for a period of time because it's not feasible to to do more. Yet there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of uh, inefficiency. So now that we're in a more open world, an internet connected world, we have better tools. We can work more permissionlessly across, you know, and more openly. And we have things like GitHub and Slack and Zoom and so on. We have some of these like vestigial elements of how, how corporations run. And I think one of the interesting things DAOs are doing is in some ways they're, they're reinventing the wheel. In some ways they're trying things that we know won't work, but in other ways, they're just, they're just rethinking, you know, organizations and corporations almost from first principles. So it's just kind of a way to shake up and shake off some of those things that we've held on to for, you know, that have kind of just come along with, with legacy and, and rethink like, well, I guess why do shareholder votes have to have to be, you know, annual or, or semi-annual or, or whatever? Why can't they be real time? 
And if I don't want to participate or, or bother to be on board, I can just delegate my vote to someone who is a steward, who is basically a board member. But uh, I can always see it, what they're voting, and I can always take away that vote from them and give it to someone else in real time. Why do I have to wait for another? It's like, well, you know, historically that'd be impossible, but now with with tokens, you can do that in real time, and we can be confident that it's done correctly and that it was actually you doing it. And so, so things like this can now be now you can have a more liquid democracy. You can introduce things like quadratic voting, liquid democracy, and other things that were just too complicated before, but are now totally feasible. And so DAOs are are a place to kind of rethink some of these things and try some new things out. So at the end of the day, the main functions of an organization are to take an information, point you know, resources in a certain way, allocate resources, combine work product, and get that out there into the world and, and produce something useful for other people. And that can be done by a, a single corporation that's done as a, as a network of corporations working in concert, using each other's tools and building up into one finished product or multiple finished products. It's done by DAOs. Even within organizations, you have a group of five where there's a lead, but it's a very kind of democratic, what do you think? What do I think? I don't know. Let's do it this way. Okay. Style decision-making process. And then, but that group is almost like a unit that interacts with another group and they have a much more formal or rigid or hierarchical relationship between them. You know, resources tend to be allocated from the C-suite down each management level to teams and, and accountability tends to flow the same way where the, the C-suite is ultimately accountable for everything and they, they place a subset of the accountability and responsibility on a VP who does the same to a director, who does the same to an associate as it gets more and more specific as it goes down. So that's a typical corporation. DAOs need to, or any, any organization needs to have the same elements. They don't have to be done in the same way, but it's incredibly important that resources are allocated effectively People are incentivized and rewarded for producing value and have a disincentive for destroying value. And, and I guess, you know, along the same lines are, are accountable for what they're doing. And I think one of the things that a lot of, a lot of DAOs miss or organizations miss is that if you don't want to use the manager as, as that in a hierarchical structure, as your way of allocating resources and holding people accountable, which, which by the way, I support, I, I, I you know there's, there's real limitations, not just from like a moral, I hate working for somebody or why does this person make all the money and make all the decisions? I should be able to make decisions. I mean, there, there's that moral aspect of it, but also just from like a, an effectiveness standpoint, you can't really scale that. It's a game of telephone as the organization grows and grows. There's more information that has to be processed across the entire kind of outfit and it doesn't pass through properly. People don't have the context they need to make decisions. People aren't held accountable the way they should. So it's just not scalable. So if you're going to replace that means to hold people accountable and allocate resources, you need a, a, another. And we see in markets and in cities, and why we continue to use a city analogy, is there's no there's no government function holding the restaurant, the taco shop on the corner right outside my window accountable or saying what it has to have on the menu or giving it a budget. It just has a decentralized kind of market mechanism. People vote with their wallets. If it's adding value to their lives is in their, their selling uh, tacos for a price that I am willing to pay and they're able to produce them for less than that price and they're creating value. And that is more resources they have to grow and continue. And if they're destroying value as in it costs them $12 to make a taco that I'm only willing to pay $8 for, then they'll run out of money and disappear. And so you, without having the management function, they have these, these uh, accountability and incentive mechanisms. And so ultimately, this is a very long way of saying 
that uh, if DAOs want to be more decentralized, first, they don't have to reinvent everything. There's a lot they can borrow from from corporations. And I like particularly like the idea of delegation and stewards and having some things kind of controlled by the equivalent of like the board or like, you know, the stewards in this case or the, the, the token holders delegating certain responsibilities to sub DAOs or teams that might operate in relatively traditional ways. Maybe the team that, that kind of handles our integrations has, you know, a couple of people that are more or less leads and a team of five or six that are, you know, kind of contributing. That's fine as well. That's, that's scalable enough. Uh, if you, if they have a kind of a limited focus, uh, and then if you want to, really scale this out and not have to centrally control the building of every single feature and every piece of code that goes into the protocol and so on, then you need these kind of decentralized mechanisms like a city and and like the Apple App Store and, and like other businesses that are starting to decentralize more and more through their B2B relationships. These DAOs, to some extent, uh, transcend, uh, let's say, the possibilities of corporations, like just because corporations are designed in a certain way and they have certain obligations, et certain, you know, it's probably, it's really a corporation by design. No? So, for example, uh, DAOs can achieve these shared ownership, as you said, right, much more, much broader ownership, uh, while an organization like a corporate just gets to decentralize its ownership partially after IPOs and the DAOs do it much more in a much more liquid way, much faster way, and so on. So as well, then they they of course have this advantage of uh, uh, having all these open interfaces, right? So it's much more trustable, let's say, versus a corporation. So that's another advantage that DAOs have uh, when it comes to you know creating this legitimacy, right? To be enabling systems, right? You spoke about democracy, and I think it's also very good that, uh, for example, on a, on a, in a DAO, on a, on a protocol, there is always this possibility that the ecosystem can build alternative models. So, for example, you, speak, you spoke about data unions, and you said that the Digital Infrastructure Inc. Uh, is going to build the first data union, but, and, but you know, the ecosystem will always have the possibility to build another data union, which works according to different rules. That the, For the ones that are not encoded in the protocol, uh, they will be able to transcend the model, create more equitable models. For example, if... Uh, uh, the data union model proposed by Digital Infrastructure Inc. is not uh, is judged as not enough uh, equitable, for example, uh, by the participants. So they, they definitely have these advantages. And uh, I, I definitely think that uh, getting the ontology of the system well, the specification, the domain model, let's say, right, that uh, you're building demo upon. So uh, what a carry is, what data is, what trips are, all this logic, let's say. Getting this well is going to be very important, right, because there's going to be the, 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 the basic, right, the, the, the basis on top of which the ecosystem will be built, this kind of agreement on what the problem is, what the opportunities are, what the things that we are modeling into this system, uh, which effectively with Demo is a, to some extent a digital twin system because you basically plug cars into this dataverse that, that, that you're building. Uh, well, I mean, this enabling layer, this ontological layer needs to be nailed well. So I'm, I'm also wondering, for example, if... Uh, if you have some specification process, uh, where did you start with the domain with protocol design? If you started from standards or if you started from scratch and so on, and who you involved in this. 
But besides this, which is something that I would like to, to for you to to quickly click, click upon, so we, we listed the advantages. Uh, but what are the trade-offs? So what are the things that uh, corporates can do better, right? So for example, if I look into the space where Demo is operating. Uh, I mean, I'm not that sure that corporates can really do much better because we don't have these data sharing standards in the market uh, uh, yet. So probably that's because of some limitations, let's say, in terms of uh, the incentives that normally regulate corporate behavior in creating these enabling systems. Uh, but what are the key trade-offs that, uh, uh, for example, I don't know, speed of execution or uh, the possibility to enact a certain strategy, uh, dealing with policymakers. W what are the issues that corporates don't normally deal with and instead DAOs have to deal with uh, uh, when approaching such an opportunity to reshape an ecosystem? Yeah, well, there's certainly some speed to centralization that you could achieve. Now, that could be good in the short term. It could be good... You know, typically, if the organization is smaller, the, the cost of centralization tends to be a little bit lower. The, 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 you know, the CEO of a small company of a startup can uh, tend to get their arms around everything that's going on and hold people accountable and, and make, the right, you know, make better decisions than they would if the organization were 10,000 people. The 10,000 person company, the cost of centralization gets very, very high. You know, maybe their privileged market position and their their network effects and and the amount of control they have allows them to you know keep a stranglehold on a certain industry, but uh, ultimately you know the product does suffer because of that that centralized structure. So with DAOs, uh, you see a lot of them uh, start off relatively centralized, and the mantra for a lot of them has been you know progressive decentralization. The centralization early on is used for speed uh, and convenience, uh, so long as they eventually. Uh, decentralized so they don't eventually run into the misalignment and cost of centralization that comes as they scale. You know, so you could look at Demo as an example here. You know, ultimately we'll we'll operate this this initial data union. Will it do a better job of selling data for users and and be more commercially successful than other you know, companies could be in a more traditional context? I'm not really sure. I think I think the extra alignment with users is meaningful, but more importantly is the non-exclusivity on this. You know, for example, Twitter is a great app, but imagine if Twitter were an open source protocol for sending out tweets like email is, and someone else could build a, a client for tweeting and viewing tweets that just had maybe a better, a better sort or a better way of, of filtering out bots. Or, or different features altogether around uh, verifying aspects of identity and different media formats and, and so on that it could kind of render and show in different ways. Like it could be, you know, 10x better, but that it's not an open protocol. They have uh, exclusivity. So despite the fact that it could be so much better because of their network effects and their position in the market and their brand, you know, they're, 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 still, they're still doing great. And they're still kind of like the de facto place for things like that. But it's really holding back what that product could be and will eventually be, you know, the cause of its demise at some point if it doesn't reinvent itself or dramatically change its model. So, so with Demo, the same same idea you know, exists. If we were only were to ever have one data union and it would be operated by a centralized group, then uh, it would surely not, you know, be successful in the long term. 
but the fact that there can you know there will there can and will arise multiple data unions, multiple hardware providers, multiple applications. It's really an open ecosystem and platform to build on top of our primitives. Demo and the applications on top of it will continually reinvent itself, and that decentralization will really be key in that respect. Right. So maybe last question on on capital. You know, some 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 consideration on basically raising capital, creating these infrastructures. So so, so the question would be more like the complexity of raising such a complex system, right? Of creating a system of protocol and the first applications, creating the organizational setting. So how did you approach raising capital for this endeavor? How are you thinking in terms of uh, uh, the balance between the company and the protocol? What has been the recognition in investors? In, and you know, also because I feel that many people are approaching this space at the moment. There's a lot of work to do. So maybe you can share some learnings along the way uh, for people that are doing the same. Yeah, we did, we did raise capital, but I want to make a point about that first. One of the things I think is really great about this space in particular is that teams don't necessarily need to raise capital or don't need to raise as much capital. And you think traditionally about how products like ours that have two sides to the marketplace, right? Like our, our application isn't that useful if no one's consuming the data or building applications for users. And no one's going to consume data or build applications for users if there's no one supplying if, if there's no cars connected. So you have this chicken and egg with social media. It's like, no one's going to come look at posts. If no one's posting, no one's going to post. If no one's coming to look at posts. So how do you solve this chicken and egg? Right. And usually companies raise a lot of money and they throw a lot of cash at marketing and it's just kind of burned away forever. They might give away 10% of their company to get 10,000 users. So they're giving away 10% of the money of the company, raising a lot of cash, throwing it at marketing, lighting that money on fire. And they get, they get 10,000 users. With a blockchain project, with a token, maybe you give away 10% control of your network in the form of tokens, but you get a million or, or 10 million or 100 million you know, users from that because a $10 spent on me as an ad might get me to show up and try Uber, but I'm still going to leave when, when Lyft offers me a cheaper ride. If I receive the equivalent $10 worth of that project's token, uh, not only am I going to be more likely to you know, stick around and use it, but I'm going to tell my friends about it. I'm going to become a fan of it and evangelist for it. And so you're building these stronger communities. And, and, and the, the, the nice thing with that too, is not only do you get more users, but at the end of the day, when you look at who controls the ownership of a project, you know, you look at like, I hate picking on Facebook because you know, all the tech companies are, are kind of the same thing, but in Facebook's case, they're owned by professional investors and hedge funds and, you know, other funds, whatever who have one motive, and then they have all the users over here who, if they own stock, own maybe like two, three shares, but probably you know 99% own 0% of the Facebook and have no control in it whatsoever. And you have one class of people who invest and want profit. You have another class of people who use the product and want to be good. And you would assume that the best way to make a profitable business is to make it good for the users, but it's not exactly the case. It's not a one-to-one -one match. And that misalignment causes a lot of pain and problems. Whereas I think you know, with blockchain projects, if you can get away with raising less money, giving more control to your users than your investors, you know, stake, real stakeholders, uh, investors can be great. I'm not bad mouthing investors, but in our case, we want as much of the network to be controlled by drivers, by hardware manufacturers, by car OEMs. We want it to be owned by the data unions, the app developers, the consumers, and so on. 
so that we're really maintaining broad alignment with our with our user base rather than you know having one one group over here and one group over there so that's first first quick aside on why it's important and why it's so helpful that blockchain products are able to reserve a lot of the ownership for for the community in our case we did raise money we raised money because we really liked our investors and thought they had a lot to add with our product we wanted them to be aligned with what we're doing uh, we also raised money just because unfortunately we couldn't just or we didn't want to just mint the demo token and launch it out into the world and start using that to recruit people to work on the project we wanted cash in the bank that we could use to hire people pay lawyers pay people and so on and that's just kind of an unfortunate reality of where we are the regulatory risk to just launch a token without engaging law firms and tax firms and so on is a little bit too high. A lot of projects do it, but I wouldn't recommend it, especially if you're trying to build something that's going to last and, and not run into these types of you know challenges in the future. So we raised the amount of money that we needed to get us to the point where we could launch a token and start to incentivize people to contribute and collaborate uh, with the token instead. So yeah, we're going to have a, a you know a portion of our network owned by investors, but you know when you compare that to a traditional corporation, it's minuscule when you when you compare the just the overall percent that's that's controlled. And it may be also healthier pattern, right? That of uh, having an investor investing on a product like you know the ones that digital infrastructures are going to build, but also doing an investment on the public infrastructure that allows that product to be a democratic, open, equitable product, if you want, that doesn't suffer of, you know, depending on, a, for example, pro- proprietary standards, right? So it may be a healthy pattern of investment for investors to bought to do the investments on the product, but also on the enabling protocol that is ensuring that the ecosystem is going to be healthy and safe for the long term. So that's an impression that I'm having as I, as I listen to you. Mm-hmm. Now you're focusing on, on this uh, hardware uh, around cars and so on. Do you have any other dream that w- what would you love to see as an application of, of this, if you could just think freely? We have big plans and we don't have to control all of it. We just We see a future where the primitives that we're building expand to any IOT device. Maybe you'll eventually connect your, you know, mint your phone as an NFT with Demo or mint your refrigerator or your house, whatever. Any any uh, real world or even possibly digital object could have an identity within the framework of what we're building, could attach data, you know, elements of data to it, credentials to it and contribute it to data unions. This could be expanded in many ways. And we could, or we could just be something that's used for the sliver for the mobility side and, and people could build other things. At the end of the day, it's all very composable. Mm. It doesn't really matter who builds what. When you look at like the DeFi space, you can take a stable token produced by MakerDAO and you can trade it on Uniswap. And then you can take that token and lend it out on Compound. And it didn't really matter whether that was all one company or three different, you know, DAOs or whatever it was uh, doing it. Uh, it's all composable. It all works together, and it's and it, and it all kind of makes this thing that you might want to do possible. And so we see Demo either fitting into or expanding to include uh, the ability to kind of connect and attach data to any, you know, type of object to have all kinds of applications built on top of it. You know, composed of different things, lots of 
use around identity, around specific trips. We're definitely focused mainly on mobility to start. And so we're going to make sure that the protocol works at a fundamental level for mobility. One of the luxuries of being more decentralized is that we could have groups, if we have the resources, you could have groups really dedicated to expanding horizontally to other types of IoT. And you could have other groups incredibly focused and dedicated to expanding vertically into mobility only. And unlike a corporation where that split focus could really take away from their ability to execute as a more decentralized organization, it wouldn't matter as much. You know, you see the same thing kind of happening with Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? It's like there are some people focused on making Ethereum a lot more scalable and adding features to it and, uh, you know, sharding and layer twos and adding more block space and changing the, the tokenomics burn with 15, EIP 1559 and so on. And that doesn't at all take away from the attention of the people building applications on top of it and going deeper and, you know, building DeFi applications and so on. And people building DeFi applications aren't taking away from the the focus and attention that the people are on the protocol. So you can you can kind of expand both simultaneously with that decentralized structure. So we see this happening relatively quickly. We, we, this, this is a huge ra- wave of you know, not only are we going to be able to expand in many directions because of our decentralization, but all this infrastructure is being built around us that we're going to be using. I mean, Demo is going to be using governance tools, wallets. Uh, other applications that are all improving massively as a result of other people's investment as well. And so this is just going to kind of explode in all directions. Yeah. Stay tuned. I mean, that's a very interesting point. I mean, we, I was thinking, uh, talking with Ustina over the chat before, and uh, this idea of expanding uh, DAOs horizontally towards maybe other domains or vertically towards more specific domains. That's very interesting because, as you said, everything is composable. So we will see, I think, a lot of experimentation in, you know, working together between two DAOs and question on what are these network effects going to accrue, at what layer, what, what kind of level of the domain. I mean, maybe food for another, for another show. So maybe as a closing, can you point out for our listeners what's coming up, where should they be looking for, for no news on, on Demo, besides, you know, catching up with your podcast and with your awesome documentation that I've been uh, reading with Stina uh, largely in the, last, in the last few months. Yeah, we've got a lot. I mean, the most, the, the simplest and, and best thing you can do right now is connect your car. Or, or just create an account and uh, generate a referral link. That's a call to action. Yes, yes. So so <laughs> go to app.demo.zone or download the mobile app. It's called Demo Mobile. It's in the, on iOS and Android. And create an account and connect your car. And if you don't have a car, you can still create an account and generate a referral link that if you tweet out and someone else joins, you can earn some tokens for uh, in the future for their uh, having been connected. So that's that's the, the first and best thing. We're on Twitter, uh, Demo underscore network our discord is very open so you can join there and chat with us and kind of see a lot of the work going on that's uh dao.demo.zone dao.demo.dimo.zone we also have uh docs.demo.zone docs.demo.zone where we have a lot of written documentation on kind of how this works and the token and all that stuff is is there as well I mean, thank you so much. It was an amazing conversation. Thank you, Stina, for co-hosting that uh, that with me. And thank you, Rob, for your insights. And I'm sure that uh, we're going to keep an eye on, on Demo uh, coming up. Always love chatting with you. And uh, for our listeners, then catch up soon. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bandless Conversations podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on boundless.io for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, and connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform strategies and organizational transformations for the age of ecosystems. We also want to thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.